Would you open God's precious holy word to the 144th Psalm? It's kind of interesting that we're doing psalms that are written by David on Sunday nights while on Wednesday nights. Although we won't be doing that anymore <laughs> after tonight till next year, right? But we're studying David in 1 Samuel and we can sort of understand some of the background of these psalms. David was a fugitive from Saul for about 10 years, 10 years. Now he and his men were, they had adventures and, and they helped people and fought skirmishes and battles, but he was a fugitive for 10 years. Then he became king of Judah, only Judah, for uh, seven and a half years. So if, if, we're, if we're assuming that David was like a teenager, 16, 17, 18 maybe, when he killed Goliath, and then he immediately went into service for Saul, because as you recall from 1 Samuel, Saul had said, you need to come and be with me. Then for a while, he was leading the military into war with uh, the Philistines, battles here and there. And then he had to run. So let's say he may have been around 20 years old. It's hard to say, but early 20s, maybe 20. A fugitive for 10 years, that puts him to 30. Seven and a half years, king of Judah, that puts him in his late 30s. And then the rest of the tribes of Israel signed on and, and accepted David as king of all of Israel, all 12 tribes. And then he was the king until he died, I believe at the age of 70. Here's the point. For those 10 years as a fugitive and for all of those years as a boy and as a teenager, when he was a shepherd, in practical experience and in the circumstances of his life, God was preparing him for the great work of being the king of Israel. Now, we're, we're in, in the 144th Psalm, we're reflecting on David's reflection of various life experiences and things that were important to him. And by this time in his life, we'll discover these things. Number one, David, for Yahweh, David wanted to be an effective warrior and an effective king. And he's going to acknowledge that Yahweh had trained him like that. And number two, he wanted his people to be blessed. So he was a good king. He wanted his people to prosper and to live at peace. Now, in order for that to happen, David had to make a lot of personal sacrifices in that he invested himself in warfare for, for, for much of his life. He was a warrior uh, going out to battle just almost on a regular basis. 
but that he would do that helped guarantee peace for his people and helped also guarantee them economic response, uh, prosperity and brought national responsibility into a group of people as a whole, the nation of Israel, instead of just a, a tribe here and a tribe there. For all of those years in the period of the judges, and we're talking over a long period of time, the Israelites were oppressed. In some ways, they almost lived like cavemen. They didn't know from one day to the next whether or not they were going to be attacked, whether or not all of the crops that they had worked so hard to put into the barn were going to be robbed and stolen by the Philistines, um, whether or not they were going to be forced to give over the land where they lived and then they would just be on their own and find someplace else, even though it was the land of Israel. That went for a long time. And that, that created a mindset of people expecting to be defeated and impoverished all the time. But then David came along. And that mindset, of course, Saul was first. Samuel was the last of the judges. Saul was the first of the kings. But Saul was not a good king. He was a very selfish king. And, and uh, he looked out more for himself than he did his people. But David, David restored dignity, self-awareness, uh, responsible living. He brought an economy into the nation so that they could begin to prosper by the work of their hands. Solomon carried it to its pinnacle with his wisdom after David had died and Solomon became king, uh, the nation of Israel was the greatest nation in all of that part of the world. Uh, Solomon had, I mean, it's almost like all he had to do was stick a shovel in the ground and there was a gold mine or a diamond mine or something. He had his own uh, merchant marine. Uh, he was heavily invested, he heavily invested Israel in exporting goods so that the nation became wealthier and Solomon always made the right choice because of the wisdom that God had given him. As a matter of fact, leaders from other nations and empires would come to sit at the feet of Solomon and ask him about things. But this all began with David, a, a selfless man who invested himself into his people and into his kingdom because of his love for Yahweh. A lot of that is seen here in Psalm 144. Blessed be my rock. Well, let's look at it. My rock, Yahweh, he loves me personally and he takes care of me personally. And then God invests his work into me, prepares me for that. And then gives me success. Let's look at how David puts it here. This is a psalm of David. Blessed is Yahweh, my rock, who trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. David was a great warrior. He had courage. The, 
The foundation of his warrior's heart started when he was a shepherd. When he had to take the responsibility of going against odds that were greater than most people would want to go against in order to save and protect animals for which he was responsible that most of the world wouldn't even care about. But David guarded them with his life. He even said in his own testimony that he had faced down and had defeated bear and lion and jackal in protection. He did that as a young guy, a very young guy, in protection of his sheep. He knew that his sheep were helpless without him. So he had to carry them from pasture to pasture so that they could be fed properly. He had to care for them at the end of every day, anointing their heads with oil, looking for cuts and looking for uh, insects that didn't belong there or some other kind of disease, maybe of the eye or whatever, that he would have to work on with ointment. So David, just as a young guy, knew a lot about the lay of the land, where the tableland was. He knew that he could carry them up to the tableland and, and there he could watch and protect from a position of strength, uh, protect his, his uh, sheep until they had grazed that field. He would have to lead them through narrow crags and valleys so that they could go from <clears throat> one great grazing field to the next after they had finished this one off. And as a shepherd, he would lead the way. And with his rod and his staff and his sling, he would be the one to face whatever wild animal or group of thieves were there to try to wrest the sheep away from him. He'd fight to the death. That was a shepherd code. And he did a, obviously a good job of it because he put himself on display when he killed Goliath. All of those years learning how to use the land for giving himself a, an advantage over his adversary. Learning how to use the staff and the rod. Learning how to use his sling. And knowing where he was and what advantages would be at night, what advantages would be at day, and to work while protecting his sheep, also be working to keep them healthy and well-fed. All of these things were his responsibility. Now, look at what he says. Yahweh, I'm looking back on my life, and I'm looking at a time when a young shepherd boy put himself between wild animals and helpless sheep. And I knew what to do. And I'm looking at a time when I was forced into exile for 10 years. And I would have to hide in a cave and I would have to move from here to there. And then I, I learned the value of surrounding yourself with dedicated and devoted men, especially those 39 mighty men the Bible describes. You know, one of them would take on eight or 10 at a time. I know the value 
of being surrounded by, by great warriors. I understand the value of courage. I understand the value of loyalty. And I know that so many times courage in battle goes a long way in defeating the attitude of the enemy, though there be many more than us. All those years of hiding and running and practicing with not just staff and spear and, and sling, but also sword. I've learned how in all of those years with every skirmish that came along, with every wild animal that I had to face down, with every threat of intimidation that came from the mouth of Saul, I've learned how to deal with it. And my courage has grown. And I have taken men out to battle now as the king. And I have faced down inferior, uh, superior numbers with what most would think of as an inferior force. And we took the battle to them. And we never did it unless you gave us our blessing. But when I went into battle, I recognized the value of all of those years. Those years as a shepherd boy, those years as an exile in the wilderness, those years of battle face to face with the greatest warriors and the greatest weapons in the world, the weapons of iron in the hands of those Philistines. And you have guided me and I recognize how remarkably successful you have made me to be. You trained my hands for battle and you trained my fingers for war. This was the great purpose of King David, to protect God's people, to let them live a life of peace. He had to live a life of war so that he could guarantee them a life of peace. He had to live a life of self-sacrifice so that his people could be prosperous and at ease. Just like in the days when he was a shepherd looking after helpless sheep. Well, in order for this to happen, Yahweh, in the experiences of David's life, had to increase his ability as a warrior and a leader. You trained my hands for battle, my fingers for war. God did this for him personally. My loving kindness, now that's a word that speaks of covenant loyalty between Yahweh and his own. David had a special covenant with Yahweh, or Yahweh had a special covenant with David that David's throne would never come to an end, that there would always be a son of David on that throne. And that from David would come the Christ. So God extended, God was proactive and extended loving kindness. And God was David's fortress, his rock, his refuge. Nothing could penetrate his fortress, who is Yahweh. My high tower, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. 
who subdues peoples beneath me. David is one of these guys, humble, after God's heart, never accepted the credit for the, for the wars that he had won and the battles that he had fought and the enemies that were left laying on the ground under him. He never took credit for that because God was working out a purpose through David. It was God working his purpose through David. And that, that purpose being worked from Yahweh through David was an expression of the covenant loyalty, the covenant love, the loving kindness of Yahweh. And the protection of David on those battlefields and, and the protection of his men. This was Yahweh being a fortress. Those slain and subdued nations who dared to come against David and were defeated were there because Yahweh delivered them into David's hand. David recognizes this. David knows that it, it wasn't him really. It was Yahweh working through him. Now thinking of what God had done with him and through him causes David to ask a question that I would think every child of God is asked. Remember, David as a boy would have laid down against the canopy of nighttime skies. And in his time and in his world and in that day, with nothing to impede the shining stars, he would have seen, he would have seen a blanket of sparkling lights unlike anything I've ever seen, I'm sure. And you can read his other Psalms and you can recognize how David contemplated the greatness of God and the smallness of man. And here is one of the times David asks the question, what is man? Adam, what is man that you should know him? Why do you even take the time to consider this little speck of a dust against the canopy of the greatness of your creation, this little insignificant speck? What is man that you should consider him? The son of man that you should consider him. Now here in the context, David is thinking of himself. Why me? They were singing the great songs of David all across Israel. Israel loved David. David loved his people and he took care of them. But in the most private of moments in a time of reflection and prayer, he had to ask the question, who are we that, that you would even think of us? And who am I that you would even work your purpose through me? I'm nothing. I'm a shepherd. I'm the son of nobody. My family is nothing. That's what he said to Saul, remember? There's no greatness to us. We're just humble working people. But God chose David 
to change his world in his day and to make an irrevocable promise that through David would come the Christ. Why have you even put me in this conversation? Who is man? Man is like a breath. His days are as a fleeting shadow. The years will pass. The decades will fly by until the 20 person, the 20 year old person that you are at one point in time will suddenly find himself as a 60, 70, 80 year old person. And you think of your life then not in terms of years, but just major events. I'm in my fifth church. My, my life, my adult life can be measured in five churches, four children, the grandchildren. It's just, it goes. This is the reflection that David makes. You see, David is older now and he's in middle life. He's looking back, man's like a breath. These days have flown by like a shadow that just drifts across. So what is man? And who am I that you'd have used me? You see, these, these are questions and reflections that I believe we will pursue into the ages of the ages. And every time we think we have a lock on part of what we need to know, a whole new hallway with a thousand doors suddenly opens up to us. So Yahweh, my rock, he is mighty and he delivers me with victory. Yahweh, bend your heavens and descend. Touch the mountains and they'll smoke. Flash lightning and scatter them. Send forth your arrows and destroy them. Stretch forth hands from above. Deliver me and rescue me from the great waters from the hands of foreigners whose mouths speak vanity and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. So here's what David says. The enemy of Israel in the Old Testament economy, in the time of David especially, and the enemy of David is the enemy of Christ. The enemy of Israel is the enemy of Israel's God. So here they come, seeing how Yahweh has been a fortress, how Israel's God has been a fortress to David. And David says, it is nothing for you to set mountains on fire. Now, when he talks about great waters, he's talking about other nations and the foreigners who are very deceitful. 
they come wanting to form an oath. <laughs> I was, let's see, this would have been in 1970 something. There was a guy that had come up in the ranks of Karate with me. And Master Chung was there and he was testing both of us for second Dan, I think. Second Dan or third Dan. And this particular guy comes to me and he says, now look, he, we, he knew we were going to have to fight each other. So he said, look, let's just make it look good. We don't have to go real hard. Just, just make it look good. You know, he wouldn't have brought us this far if he wasn't going to pass the test for us. So I was thinking about that, you know, that don't sound right. So I said, just, just kind of go easy, but make it look good. There was a third Dan there from, so we were going for second name. There was a third Dan from Birmingham. He was the guy who was supervising the match. So we bowed him, bowed to each other. Hey, fight! Before I could inhale, the other guy who was trying to make an oath with me screamed, jumped up in the air with a jumping back kick and hit me in the chest as hard as he could with his foot. And I thought to myself, well, that covenant is out the window. <laughs> he was kind of a little guy and he bounced off and he spent the rest of the time running. <laughs> so I know about people whose mouths speak vanity. Oh, David, let's, let's come to an agreement here. We don't want to go to war and lose people. Let's just agree. And then they would raise their right hand in an oath, but it was a lie. And David knew it by the wisdom that God had given him. Because if he had agreed to that, as soon as he turned his back, here they would come. They would work him into a time of, of unpreparedness so that through that vanity and through those lies, they would think to take advantage. And so he says, deliver me, rescue me from great waters, from the hands of foreigners. They're liars. So God's people, you see, anybody who tries to seek a compromise from the people of God who are in this world are liars. And they speak falsehood. Well, God had, had, had raised David to a, a position of, of mental acuity such that he knew he'd be this wasn't his first tango. He'd been around the block a few times and he knew he could see it in their faces when they were lying to him. Elohim, I shall sing a new song for you with a 10 stringed harp and I'll sing praises to you. Now look at that. I will sing a new song to you. David had already written a lot of Psalms and they were based on the experiences of life that he had had up to that point. But all of us who are children of God know this. Every phase of life brings a new experience. It's an experience that's harder than the one was before. It's different. 
The situation is different. The time of life is different. It's a new thing. And so David, having come through all of these various experiences, comes through one he had never had before. And he says, Elohim, I got to write a song about this one. I'll sing you a new song with a 10 stringed harp. And I'll sing praises to you. I'll tell about what you've done, some new thing, and then I'll praise you for it. Elohim, who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from an evil sword. Every sword that came against David was an evil sword because David was a man in pursuit of the heart of God. A humble man who was giving his life, investing himself that he might protect his people and let them live peaceful and prosperous lives. And all he ever did was fight for them, you see. So every sword raised against him was an evil sword. Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouth speaks lies and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood. Their oath means nothing. You probably, like me, have watched our federal government over the years enter into covenants or alliances or whatever, treaties with other people, and you're thinking to yourself, those people will never do what they just said they'd do. What kind of fool sits down at the table with those people? But they do. Now, this is where David is, you see. But David was <laughs> David wasn't a fool. Finally, Yahweh my rock is gracious to me and gives me abundant blessings. That our sons, so now this is why David did everything that he did. Here it is. So that our sons may be like saplings grown up in their youth. That even in their youth they will have vigor and strength and courage. That our daughters may be as cornerstones sculptured in palace style. That they may have resolve and strength and stability connected with gracious beauty. That our granaries may be full, supplying to all kinds of produce, that our flocks may produce thousands, yes, tens of thousands. Now that's an interesting Hebrew word. It can mean streets or in our fields, everything that is outside. So such prosperity that what we have produced would be seen everywhere. Then we will have no want or discouragement that our oxen may be well laden. In other words, that all of the trucks on the interstate be full. <laughs> that we be so bountiful with prosperity that our goods are being carried everywhere. That there be no breach or breaking in. 
that ordinary people will have moral resolve, nor rumor going out, nobody breaking in to steal your stuff, and nobody going around telling tales on people. And that there be no outcry in the squares. In the squares. Oh, I left that translation out. That there be no outcry in the squares, like Portland, Oregon, or Seattle. Can you see what a blessing it is to live in a godly state? where you don't have to go to sleep thinking that some group of people is going to burn my city down and maybe pounding on my door before I wake up to come in and ravage my wife and me and steal our stuff and maybe beat us to death. What a blessing that is. David, the righteous king, was the warrior to keep that from happening so that his people could be at peace they could work, be responsible, and be prosperous. And the nation would have vibrant trade. Blessed are the people who are in such a state. Blessed are the people whose God is Yahweh. I'm beginning to see what a mess a nation can get in when Yahweh is not their God. Thank you for being here. Let's pray together. Okay, we'll be through. Oh, Father, our prayer is just like this. That we might enjoy such a life of peace and abundance. The only light in this world, Lord, we know is your church. And the only salt that preserves is your church. And the only gospel that the world so desperately needs comes through your church. In these last days, God, help us to spend our lives telling others of Christ to invest our lives like David did in his way so that people can understand the only way to peace and prosperity in this life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.